0: Are you a gig worker or self-employed? Womply has helped over 100,000 small businesses get a PPP stimulus loan, and you may qualify for up to $41,000 in 100% forgivable loans. The program ends soon and funds are limited. Apply now at womply.com/apply. That's w-o-m-p-l-y.com/apply. Marshall, happy Tuesday. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. Thank you for listening to our program on radio, on live stream, and of course, on podcast. Also, thank you for watching the program on YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter's Periscope. More than a pleasure to have you with us. This afternoon. Also, more than a pleasure to have joining us Steve Salmon. Mr. Salmon is director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department, and he has worked there for more than 17 years. Nearly 30 years of safety and health experience in his background, investigating fatalities and life-altering accidents, providing assistance to local unions, and working closely with employer safety and health professionals. Mr. Solomon serves as a labor representative on the National Advisory Committee on Occupational Safety and Health, the NACOSH, and the NFPA's 652 Technical Committee on the Fundamentals of Combustible Dust. More than a pleasure to have him with us. Remember, check out usw.org. Follow the Steelworkers on Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. Mr. Salmon, thank you for joining us this afternoon, taking the time. More than a pleasure to have you with us, sir.
1: Well, thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be with you again.
0: You know, There is so much to talk about. We are, um, you know, approaching Workers Memorial Day at the end of this uh, month, April 28th, uh, marking every year to honor and remember workers that have been killed, that have been injured, that have been disabled or, or even made ill from exposure to hazards at work. Um, this is a particularly telling year to talk about this and and to mark this holiday, Workers Memorial Day, uh, because of the pandemic and because of so many essential workers, union workers, um, that have been exposed to more than the normal hazards in the workplace uh, with uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, I, I think you would agree.
1: Oh, indeed, indeed. And and look, this is uh, this has been quite. Uh, when we look back since this all started, and really looking back to March of of last year, uh, when you I've been tracking the numbers, and before I got on the show today, I was looking at uh, some of the statistics of just uh, where we are, and Johns Hopkins University. Uh, And and looking at just globally, I mean, when we think about Workers' Memorial Day, this is a globally recognized day on April 28th that uh, we take time to remember. And uh, we're over 142 million cases globally of confirmed COVID-19. And that's what's been confirmed. And we know that testing is still an issue. Uh, We know globally that there's over 3 million Uh, lives that have been lost. And just here in the U.S., uh, as of this morning, when I looked at the statistics, there was over 31 million confirmed cases Mm -hmm. of COVID-19. And then when you look at the, the real grim part of this is that means over 567 people have had their lives taken from this. And and when you look at those numbers, uh, you also have to wonder about misclassifications, you know, were these people considered as someone within the community and they weren't classified as, you know, someone who works, uh, you know, like when we seen everything that was going on when these hot spots were going on from New York to everywhere else as it went to the East Coast to the West Coast, um, were they misclassified as, you know, someone in the public, but yet Um, They were a bus operator who handled public transportation. And this has become really evident that uh, worker health is public health. And and you cannot separate these because the occupational hazards play a role in this. And how do we protect people in doing these jobs? And certainly there's the legal side of this, that uh, employees are, are supposed to have a safe and healthy workplace Uh, But then there's this moral side of this that uh, we should be doing this because it's about fellow human beings. And and we are far from out of the woods, um, you know, just watching about some of this potential for a fourth wave. And yet we're seeing uh, rollbacks of some of the basic protections um, that's going to try to get us through this until we can get some people vaccinated. And we're seeing a lot around... Vaccines moving forward, but that's only good if people are vaccinated, and and we respect the people's rights to make their decisions. Uh, but we certainly know that vaccines is going to play a, a critical role in this going forward. So that uh, when we do Workers' Memorial Day next year, we're going to have a whole lot less numbers because right now, if we don't get people vaccinated and get towards herds and herd immunity. Uh, We're going to have more of the same to keep talking about. And if we can curb the spread of this virus and help stop the pandemic, uh, that's going to prevent family, friends, coworkers, and everybody from getting sick. And not only will people as a community have immunity, but people themselves will have some immunity. Uh, And that will help make sure that all those people that we've been calling heroes as the the medical field goes, whether you work in a hospital, you're on an ambulance is like we have steel workers who are first responders. um, Those people need, need that help of people getting vaccinated and doing all of the controls to protect people. And, And that'll also help the economy to avoid shutdowns and, and the isolation. But here's the deal. If we don't keep doing testing, Quarantine, isolation, maintaining our distance—that we've been working on, um, avoiding really large crowds, and having the good sanitation in place that we've been seeing people hand washing—and and I know that this is going to be a touchy issue—is—is is the mask wearing? Um, but the bottom line is, the, the masks have really made a difference, and especially for healthcare workers, of having N95s and the proper respiratory protection. But that's not the only solution. Our, our solution is having good ventilations and making sure that we're not in places that uh, that doesn't have stagnant uh, air. And now we're sharing that aerosol because this is a this is an aerosol transmission hazard, and we have to recognize that and can't forget about that.
0: Absolutely, you know, when you talk about misclassification, you are you are dead on because uh, not just uh, not just globally. Um, you know, in other countries, uh, even our neighbor to the North Canada. But even here in the United States, I was listening to a report this morning um, by uh, some physicians uh, from Johns Hopkins, actually. And, um, you know, they were talking about how before COVID was identified, there are a lot of people that had strange flu-like symptoms or upper respiratory issues and that died from that. And they perhaps died from COVID. So it's 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 pretty fair to say that any numbers we're looking at, and right now globally the confirmed cases, as you had mentioned, um, are over 142 million, uh, mm-hmm. deaths over 3 million globally, uh, confirmed in the United States almost 32 million cases, and over half a million, uh, almost 568,000 deaths. Those numbers are probably all higher because there are people that weren't classified as COVID, uh, having COVID, and and, and being, uh, you know, a a person who died from COVID, but they probably did, um, because early on, um, there were a lot of people that would have just been you know, written off as having an upper respiratory disease or a flu and, and and not COVID. And to your to your other point, I mean, when we look at the United States, absolutely, uh, you know, with, with vaccines, I, I got my first shot Saturday. I'm very happy. I'm looking forward to my second three to four weeks. I've had zero side effects. Not even for a sore you. arm. Everybody told me I'd have a sore arm. I did have Pfizer. Um, I wanted Pfizer because I heard there were less side effects, because if there's a side effect to be had, I usually will get it. And uh, but, you know, I, I have to say, you know, that there's people across the board having no side effects, regardless of what vaccine they have. And then there are some that get, you know, flu-like symptoms, just like when you get the flu shot. I sometimes get a headache when I get the flu shot. Sometimes I don't. Uh, but right now in the United States, about half of the people over 18 Are vaccinated now. Eighty-seven percent of those fully vaccinated, and uh, you know we're and definitely we're looking at good numbers. And uh, the prediction of the president and his goal have been met and exceeded. Uh, But at the same time, um, you, you know you're absolutely right. We can't let down our guard because we're hearing about different variants. Look at what's happening in Brazil and now in India. Apparently, there's a new variant, and some people out there in the medical community are concerned that. Not all of the vaccines, or not the vaccine may not come back to the same degree, all of the variants. And obviously this is very fluid. You know, we just don't know. We're gonna take a break. And when we come back, Mr. Salman, we're gonna talk more with you about the ongoing uh, pandemic, uh, talking about the millions of workers who have and continue to risk their lives, and also talk about um, all of those uh, I- individuals uh, that have died from this uh, horrific virus, uh, COVID-19. We are honoring workers lost to COVID-19, occupational hazards, uh, other occupational hazards this workers memorial day which is coming up the end of this month on April 28th we'll be back with our guest director of the united steelworkers health safety and environment department mr steve salman and you right after this during the break check out the website usw.org and please follow them on twitter at steelworkers the same on instagram we'll be back with mr salman and you right after this don't go away So welcome, or welcome back, and we uh, welcome back Director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department, Mr. Steve Salman. Mr. Salman and I are talking about Workers' Memorial Day, which is this April 28th, and it's marked every year to honor and remember the workers who are killed, injured, disabled, and made ill from exposures to hazards at work. So many made ill uh, this past year with the pandemic. As a matter of fact, uh, just um, healthcare workers. Um, alone, you know, over f- almost 4,000 healthcare workers, and, and most of those individuals under 60 uh, years of age. And a large number of those who died were worried about not having enough. PPE, Excuse me. Personal Protective Equipment. Uh, Mr. Solomon thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. When we talk about that report that came out in the Guardian that more than thirty six hundred American healthcare workers died of COVID in the line of work since mid March of last year. And most who died were under the age of sixty despite the median age of death from COVID uh, in the general population being seventy eight. Um, and the majority of healthcare workers who died from COVID-19 were people of color. And we see over and over, whether it's in the healthcare industry or other working industries, um, and, and in even just, you know, people, uh, you know, who, who may not be working, that uh, people of color are disproportionately and have been disproportionately affected by this virus and the uh, economics uh, tied into this virus, the loss of income.
1: Yes, and I think that's important that you've captured that. Uh, look, I would point out that this is a workers' rights issue, and it's also a racial justice issue. Uh, almost 4,000 health care worker deaths, um, with the mo- majority of them being under age 60. Look, I mean, you go to a hospital thinking you're going to get the best of care. You would think that the employees get the best of care so that they can provide the best of care for your loved one. And to read that report, if people have not read what uh, that is about, it's, uh, it's very very heartbreaking and it should cause outrage to think that we have healthcare care workers who are out there every day putting that on the line, be it at a hospital or like steel workers who are emergency responders uh, that work in the community or, or steel workers who work in uh, the correctional systems Uh, they're out there every day putting their lives on the line, and they need controls necessary to protect them in the workplace. And as you mentioned, PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, is just one of those things uh, that they need. And early on, I mean, our union was asking for people to donate personal protective equipment to people on the front line. And in America, we shouldn't have to do that. Those things should be there to protect people, including the N95 that now all of a sudden everybody in the public seems to know what is, where before people didn't even know what a respirator was, let alone an N95 filtering facepiece respirator. And healthcare workers and, and social service workers need those protections. Um, they also need all kinds of other protections, including workplace violence. Uh, and this has been something that we've been looking at. We've been trying to push, uh, but clearly, as we've been going through this, there are more hazards that healthcare workers are going through that people just don't realize. And and what's of interest, uh, if people aren't aware, you don't have to rely upon an N95. Uh, and an N95 means it's only going to be able to protect people up to a certain percentage, so 95%. So what about that other 5%? So are you willing to gamble with that? Um, This is why we talk about the hierarchy of controls. If we have hazards, let's eliminate them in the workplace. Can we find a substitute and use something less hazardous? We've been using all kinds of sanitation materials. Can we find something less hazardous than bleach and find a substitute to disinfect and clean with? And then we do engineering controls, and I want to point out that you know the, the healthcare community—they uh, could have been providing ventilated headboards for healthcare workers. So then that way, the aerosol transmission that is now out there, and people are now trying to protect themselves from this aerosol—they um, could have been capturing that at source with a ventilated headboard and only providing people PPE. Um, during, like, intubation or something that would be an aerosol-generating procedure what well, was wrong. People needed that protection from day one for their whole entire work day, and they needed to be protected. We had healthcare workers in break rooms trying to, you know, deal with the workload, the work intensity, the understaffing, and then lo and behold, they try to find a place to take a break and collect themselves so that they can try to be 100% for their patients. And then what do they end up doing? They end up breathing that air that has been aerosolized by all of the other people, and now they contract the virus, and lo and behold, uh, now we've got health care workers going down on the job. And so this is important to make sure that we understand that without the right controls, and that's not just inadequate PPE, even though that's a control, it's the least protective control, because if it doesn't fit right, um, there's... Supply issues, they don't have it. We had people using N95s over and over and deconning these. And they're only approved as a one-time use. Um, and that's, that's what's really troubling. And, and this isn't just at hospitals. About 25% of those people uh, worked at hospitals. Everyone else worked in residential facilities, outpatient clinics, hospice, prisons, uh, nursing homes, uh, you name it. And this is why if they're heroes then let's treat them like heroes and make sure that they're set up for success and not failure.
0: Very well said, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned all the various or many of the various areas within uh, the healthcare uh, working environment, but there are also workers in other essential industries that have also suffered disproportionately from COVID-19. When you look at the numbers, they faced a 20% greater chance of dying during the pandemic than they did before that. And I want to point out something that personally made my skin crawl, Last summer, when you look at the food processing facilities that became hot spots for COVID-19 and for the workers there performing job duties, and they were at close uh, in close proximity with each other for prolonged uh, periods of time. And, and, and on top of that, there was just a callous disregard for the danger that workers were putting themselves in and had to to keep their job each and every day. Uh, and there was an, an independent investigation that found managers at a plant, the Tyson plant. We're placing bets on how many workers would get infected. that That's just, I mean, how disgusting, how inhumane. And, and just another example of of how, how callous some of these corporations are toward their workers who were in a, a greater chance of dying than so many of us.
1: Uh, if it doesn't make your blood boil or cause you to be outraged, I don't know what will. Because I too, when I became aware of that. Uh, I just looked at that as corporate homicide. Uh, Who in their right mind, first of all, as a human being would treat another human being that way? Um, And that says something about class warfare that we have going on. I mean, earlier we had talked about, you know, that there is this issue around workers' rights uh, and racial justice. And I think that also applies in this situation here with uh, what was happening. And, And this is even... Uh, it, it's embarrassing for me because I was born and raised in Iowa, and to know that this happened at an Iowa plant mm-hmm. and and I know some of the people who uh, work in safety and health uh, back at the state of Iowa, and they take their jobs very serious to try to make sure that workers' lives are protected. Uh, but at that facility that there was at least five people who died at that workplace, yep. from the virus. And the Black Hawk County Health Department, Uh, knew about more than 1,000 workers at the plant. That was about a third of the the workforce that had contracted the virus.
0: That's absolutely inexcusable, right? A third. Mr. Solomon, I apologize for interrupting. We have to take a quick break. I'm going to let you finish on the other side of this, uh, this quick commercial break, and we'll be back with you and with everybody watching and listening right after this. Don't go away.
1: follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
0: We are back I'm Mr. Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. We welcome back Director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety and Environment Department, Mr. Steve Salmon. And we're talking with Mr. Salmon about honoring workers lost to COVID-19 and other occupational hazards as this April 28th is Workers Memorial Day. And uh, with COVID-19, uh, even more of a time for us to honor those workers lost and uh, to honor those workers who put their lives at risk uh, and continue to right now each and every day. Um, you know, to make, quite frankly, our lives safer and more manageable. And certainly they've displayed that during this pandemic. Mr. Salman, I apologize uh, for interrupting you uh, when we had to get to that hard commercial break there. Um, We are uh, back and uh, I I wanted you uh, to continue. We were talking about... we, you had mentioned uh, the Tyson plant. You had mentioned, um, you know, uh, being from that state originally. Please continue what you were saying and you, and finish your thought there. I apologize again for the interruption.
1: Sure. No worries. No worries. And uh, when I followed that case, because uh, one, I had great interest in it, that how could a human being treat another human being that way? But just even looking at it from a worker rights perspective and knowing that this was going to have a huge uh, impact on Workers Memorial Day, uh, I also found out from following the 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 press on this that people were paid a five hundred dollar thank you bonus uh, for those who turned up for every scheduled shift for three months and and the steel workers you know we 've talked about incentives and safety and you don't want what's called a bloody pocket syndrome where people don't report things. And so if people are sick and they don't report that they're sick, they're not going to stay home because, one, they're worried about pay. And that's that's why we all go to work is we got to provide, be a provider. And when people came to work sick, now they're just spreading that. And a good employer would have a policy – working in conjunction with the union that would say, look, we want people, if they're sick, stay home, and uh, you shouldn't have to be penalized for doing the right thing. And instead, uh, they were creating what we called the bloody pocket syndrome, or, or in this case, uh, an unsafe workplace, because they're incentivizing people who are ill to come to work and spread that. And when I followed it, uh, it was even more troubling to know uh, that the Black Hawk County Sheriff had actually visited that facility in the spring and and I, I I I just couldn't believe to to listen to what he had to say was that the conditions were so awful that they quote shook him to the core mm-hmm. and uh that should shake everybody to the core and it should cause for uh justice not only for those that's been lost and made ill or sick or even worse for some of those people who are dealing with long covid even though maybe you didn't uh Uh, succumb to the virus. There's people we know who are still dealing with the after effects today of having the exposure.
0: Yeah, the, lo- the long haul patients, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're talking about food processing, and that's just one of many examples um, with uh, union workers, specifically USW workers, but also other union workers from other unions. You know, when this first started and people were freaking out and going to the markets and stockpiling bottles of water and toilet paper like we'd never seen in most of our lifetimes, um, as if we were at war and we were in a sense at war and still are to a degree uh, with, with this virus, right? And uh, uh, with our life changing. And, and I remember a woman asking at the supermarket, are we going to run out of food? And the manager said, as long as the supply chain is not interrupted, we will be fine. And when you think about that, the only reason the supply chain has not been interrupted is because of union workers, whether it be food, whether it be PPE, PPE, uh, the, the, the creation of, the making of, the manufacturing of, the distribution of. And those are just two of many, many examples. Um, I mean, seriously, our lives, uh, you know, we may have complained, but, you know, so many of us had the benefit of working from home. There are so many others that didn't. And those essential workers that went out there and and kept going to work, even though they had this risk and knowing the risk you know they kept that supply chain going and kept it fluid so that the rest of us could live our lives somewhat normally okay we had to put on a mask you know maybe you know we had to work you know partially from home or fully from home our kids had to go to school at home our lives will get back to normal as we knew it at some point even if it's you know a year or even two from now but again that supply chain was not interrupted not you know i mean we you know, most of us were not starving because there wasn't food on the shelves in the market.
1: Yes, and I think unions can take a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Uh, being part of the AFL-CIO, uh, the health, the safety and health efforts and of that department within the AFL-CIO and all of the affiliates and other unions and change to win. Uh, this is where the whole labor movement, it doesn't matter what it says on your uh, your shirt, what union you belong to. Uh, this is about the labor movement and building solidarity and, and showing the values of unions and how we was able to come together uh, to negotiate uh, sickness and accident benefits so then that way people could take care of family needs if somebody was sick at home and able to do those things. It's also a credit to... Uh, the employers who also stepped up and worked with us to do those things in the spirit of cooperation. And unfortunately, there's employers, as we just talked about, who didn't do those things. But we had employers who actually worked in the spirit of cooperation with us. We did great things. We looked at the workplaces. We did risk assessments. And we said, what do we got to do to fix that workplace? How can we space things out? How can we apply engineering controls? So for instance, how can we make things that, uh, you know, instead of doorknobs, can you use Uh, Push bars, I mean, little things from, you know, automatic sensors on doors where it was possible, sinks, paper towel dispensers, uh, all of the things that we could do. And how could people have sanitation and hygiene stations that maybe weren't there in the past, giving people the time to go do that. And we worked through with all of those things with various employers to get that. And and we're pretty proud. There's some stuff on our website that if people want to look at some of those lessons learned, Uh, There's a document called uh, Recommended Controls Mm -hmm. to Reduce Worker Exposures to COVID-19. And you're going to see all the things from applying the hierarchy of controls, because that's what is really important here. And having written action plans and using the engineering controls, administrative controls, and then least protective is personal protective equipment. But where we needed personal protective equipment, we wanted the best that money can buy.
0: No, absolutely. Look, this public crisis is certainly and has been and continues to be an occupational crisis. And even at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I have to, you know, Uh, give kudos to to all the unions but especially the usw um you guys really you just have strived to make workplaces and workers safer um i know that the usw along with other unions at the beginning of the pandemic pushed osha to issue an emergency temporary standard uh, requiring employers to provide infectious disease preparedness and a response plan for their employees Um, And and also the USW worked with employers across their industries, you know, across the board, uh, making a series of common sense recommendations that, you know, a lot of people, you know, obviously utilized. Uh, and, and employers looked at these common sense recommendations and took steps to keep their workers safe, uh, being assisted by the USW with those recommended controls to reduce worker exposures to COVID-19. Uh, also, you guys fought to make sure the workers did have access to PPE. So you can, can you talk about that uh, push to OSHA to issue an emergency temporary standard? And can you talk about those um, you know, recommended controls to reduce, reduce worker exposures, those common sense recommendations?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, let's let's back up to when we first started this conversation and we, we went through the numbers. Uh, I looked at them this morning and then obviously you had looked at them prior to the start of the show. Uh, I, I truly believe in my heart that a lot of those numbers could have been changed had we had an administration uh, who would have not been asleep at the wheel, would have recognized this as any other workplace hazard and done something about it, and fortunately, help is on the way, and uh, we have seen that. Uh, it's been through unions. It's been through a change in the, the administrations and, and Congress in Washington, D.C. We're already starting to see some of those things. But it's also just been people working together, as you pointed out. And I'll give you one example. Uh, you've seen a helicopter pilot or an airplane pilot. They have, like, earmuffs on, and then they have the microphone that extends out by the yes. mouth there. Um uh, people were trying to maintain physical distance. And at one of our workplaces, uh, the company and the union worked together to say, how can we train people? Because you can't, in a noisy environment, stand there and try to yell into somebody's ear and have physical distancing. And and so they came up with these earmuffs. And again, we don't share a toothbrush, so everybody got their own. And uh, they had their headset and microphones. And now people could communicate. And we found ways to apply the hierarchy of controls to use an engineering control to keep people physically distanced but still be able to communicate and talk about procedures and those administrative controls. And that was just one example. And and the beauty of us learning that, when we sat down with other employers who were from a completely different industry and they were like, we're going to be returning people back to work, and what have you guys as steelworkers learned at the other places who either have returned back to work or actually never shut down and has kept going? and we were able to share that with other employers so when employers say they don't want unions um, there's a benefit to having a union because we can help make your workplace safer by sharing those lessons learned.
0: Absolutely. Hold on, Mr. Solomon. We're going to come back. Apologies for the interruption again. We're on a hard break. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with, uh, after the commercial break with Mr. Solomon from the USW. We'll continue talking about um, why the unions are doing so well for these workers. And by the way, you see more and more companies and industries unionize, and that's certainly a reflection of what's been done by these unions this past year during this pandemic. We'll be back with him and you, right? But after this. Don't go away.
1: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
0: We are back. on am Leslie Marshall. That's the director of the United Steelworkers Health Safety and Environment Department, Mr. Steve Salman. Please go to their website. We were talking about things that they've learned that you can learn, go to usw.org. Please follow them on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's at Steelworkers. Mr. Solomon, again, apologies for uh, interrupting you. Um, We were talking about common sense uh, recommendations and recommended controls to reduce worker exposures to COVID-19 and uh, the union pushing OSHA to issue an emergency temporary standard. And before the break, you you were talking about how both union and even non-union shops and employers and non-union employees benefited from a lot of these pushes by the union. And why it is so much uh, more beneficial to a worker to have the union stand in the gap for them and fight, especially, uh, you know, a perfect example is what we are continuing to live through and what we have seen this past year during this pandemic.
1: Yes, and, and I think it's important to point out how, you uh, the unions, uh, the steelworkers in particular, that I can speak to, uh, we actually got involved in emergency temporary standards. And and we're obviously pushing for it on a federal level, uh, but we didn't just wait for the federal government to to do something. In fact, we had been pushing uh, the previous administration to do something and people were asleep at the wheel. And, in fact, we even had to take it one step further. Uh, Labor and environmental groups actually demanded action to prevent more deaths and illnesses as a virus spread even within the White House. And we actually, with the Center for Biological Diversity, ended up filing a lawsuit uh, to use the Defense Production Act to try to get more going for personal protective equipment. So that's one example of some of the things that we were doing. And, and one of the things that we're proud about is we've had steelworkers actively participating in trying to get emergency temporary standards. And we've been successful in doing that. Uh, we actually were successful in getting Uh, an emergency temporary standard in Virginia that actually became a permanent rule. Uh, Had that work not been done, uh, I would hate to think where things would be now. Uh, We've seen those movements moving in Michigan, California, Washington, Oregon, and uh, we're still pushing for the federal side of it. and, And we're hoping within the Biden administration Uh, We're going to get there, and we've already seen a number of things happening around the Biden administration. On the very first full day of the Biden-Harris administration, uh, the president issued a new executive order to protect worker health and safety, and it directed OSHA uh, to basically issue updated guidance, and they have, and it's on their web page. If you haven't seen it, it's some of the best stuff to come from OSHA Um, since David Michaels left, because uh, people weren't doing uh, as the political staff. The career staff was doing an amazing job, but the political staff was just not there. They were missing an action. And uh, that's going to increase enforcement. It's going to get inspections, but it's also going to help those people that's been out there blowing the whistle. And then when they've looked for the government to stand behind them with protections for protected activity, Somebody's going to be there to make sure that they've got their back. And fortunately, if you've got a union, that, that is one of the tools in the toolboxes. But you need every tool in the toolbox.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, so I guess it's fair to say in this Biden administration, OSHA is no longer missing in action. Um, I understand that OSHA has a new targeted program but they are also going to prioritize opening inspections to complaints from high hazard work sites. And that includes industries like healthcare or, or, or food processing plants, like you know, meat processing uh, and, and more. Um, do you think OSHA, you know, if you could speak to that, and do you think OSHA will do an emergency temporary safety standard?
1: Uh, we're optimistic that we will get an emergency temporary standard. Uh, we recognize that uh, you know, there's been a delay in getting that out. Uh, we believe the Biden administration will do what it takes to get it right, and uh, and we'll look at all the evidence and weigh things out. We believe that the new head of OSHA that's coming in and the new Secretary of Labor uh, are clearly uh, aware of what needs to be done. Uh, workers have suffered long enough, and they need and deserve those protections. And it's more than time for action because we've seen how voluntary compliance works, and. We don't ask people to voluntarily stop at red lights. We ask for compliance. And so we're going to need all of those resources. And, and look, OSHA's got to get out of a deep hole that they're in. They've not been properly staffed. Uh, They've let things go under this political system that they were under, under the last administration. Uh, So there's a lot of rebuilding to do. And they have four years, hopefully eight years, to do all of this. Uh, But they've definitely got to get moving on this. And we shouldn't just be saying just because we got vaccines that there's no need for an emergency temporary standard. Vaccines doesn't mean you're bulletproof. It's not 100%. And as you talked about with the prevalence of variants, we still have to recognize that this is still with us. We're also going to have future infectious disease to deal with. So why not let's learn from this while it's uh, fresh in our minds and what we've done to be successful and what didn't work, and let's get this going. And one of the things that's going to have to be in there is thinking about worker protections. How can people uh, come to work, be successful? If they're sick, how do we protect them so that they're not coming to work sick? And we need whistleblower protection programs. And and there should also be multilingual outreach. Um, not everybody speaks English. And, uh <laughs> Unfortunately, I dealt with a fatality one time with a furnace where an individual didn't speak English and he misunderstood because the uh, the supervisor didn't provide things in the language understood or the written procedures, and we ended up with a fatality. And we also have state plans out there that need to be overseen as to how they're running, and that in particular is when we've got state plans that aren't keeping up with things uh, and has cowtailed to a, a governor that uh, is not protecting workers, Federal Ocean needs to oversee them as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, unions um, often rescue their workers from corporations that care more about their money and their bottom line than they do people and their workers, sadly, and uh, unions fight hard for that. The Biden administration um, put forth the American Rescue Plan. Uh, What is the USW and unions take on this plan?
1: Well, we think it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, You know, the the American Rescue Plan is going to provide a lot of funding that's going to go after testing, uh, because if we don't test and keep it out of our workplaces and and have those people quarantine or isolate, uh, then we're going to continue to spread. So contact tracing, all of those things, personal protective equipment that we've talked about, uh, vaccine distribution. We've seen a lot of good things going on around vaccine distribution, Again, we'll just encourage people to uh, to get that. We know that this is not a requirement, uh, but we certainly support that and encourage people to uh, to get vaccinated. Uh, and there's supplies. I mean, there's all kinds of supplies that goes with vaccines that's needed. And then, actually, trying to get all of those things through the Defense Production Act has also been important. Had we not had those things under this new administration, uh, when you look at it from a workplace. Safety perspective. Um, there's training that needs to be done too. There's also grants that's uh, been administered through this, and and in the end, this is going to help uh, make safer workplaces and keep the economy going.
0: Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. This year, OSHA, um, established by the Occupational Safety and Health Act back in 1970, turns 50. And uh, OSHA, I didn't know, first opened its doors on April 28th of 1971. Is that why April 28th is the date chosen for Workers' Memorial Day?
1: So it's certainly a a part of it. And it's important to notice how far we've come in the 50 years of OSHA. Um, People say they want less government, less regulations. Uh, Look at the fatalities uh, before OSHA and to where we are today. Even when you look at it around 5,000 working people losing their lives is still 5,000 plus too many. Uh, But to look to know where we've been when that number was even far greater than that, Uh, growing up in Iowa, uh, grain elevator explosions. It wasn't hard to know that when people worked in the grain elevator, there was going to be an explosion. And then when OSHA issued a grain elevator standard, you don't hear about grain elevators blowing up anymore. So uh, we're, we're pleased that uh, OSHA has been there. That was certainly a right uh, that unions had fought for, was a safe and healthy workplace, and we needed a, an agency to help move that forward, and, and we've still got a lot of work to do. And There's been times when we've had to sue OSHA for standards under uh, administrations that were not worker-friendly, uh, but you look at where the steelworkers had sued OSHA for a confined permit required confined space standard. Uh, yep. A lot of would-be rescuers would have been killed. But now with the standard, uh, the deaths have gone down exponentially uh, since we've got a standard.
0: I and we've still got a lot more
1: to do. I mean, when you look at uh, the the health standards, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of those was put in back in when OSHA was first put together. And we know that those health standards could be lowered uh, and, and people then wouldn't be recognized on Workers Memorial Day due to deaths related to occupational disease. And one example is the good work done by the Obama administration and David Mike uh, and the career staff was around silica, of lowering the levels of people being exposed to silica so they don't get silicosis.
0: Yep, one person, right, one action, one idea uh, fought hard and can make the difference, even who makes a difference in one life that's a difference uh, that, that was worth fighting for. Mr. Salmon, it went by so fast. I learned so much, and I thank you for being with us. Mr. Steve Solomon is director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. Please go to the website, usw.org. And on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow them, at Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. Our executive producer is Marky Mark Maldi. Thank you. Without him, there would be no me, be no show. And I certainly hope you'll continue to listen to The Only True and watch The Only True. Are you a gig worker or self-employed? Womply has helped over 100,000 small businesses get a PPP stimulus loan and you may qualify for up to $41,000 in 100% forgivable loans. The program ends soon and funds are limited. Apply now at womply.com/apply. That's w-o-m-p-l-y.com/apply. DoorDash is excited to be the official on-demand delivery platform of the Detroit Pistons, offering fans fast and flexible ways to earn. With DoorDash, you can choose your own hours, make your own schedule, and be your own boss. It's a win-win-win. Sign up and deliver in Detroit before the regular season is over, and you could win a new car! Get started at pistons.com slash dash. That's pistons.com slash dash. No purchase necessary. Michigan residents 18 and up only. It's 5 17, 21 Rules? Visit pistons.com slash dash.